Greetings and salutations. This is the Accelerated Culture Podcast, the rise of alternative music in the 80s and beyond. In this podcast, we aim to walk through an often ignored bit of music history. My co-host Trey and I will explore how new waves stormed the airwaves in the early 80s and gave way to the rise of alternative music. Hello, friends. This is Lori. Welcome to another episode of the Accelerated Culture Podcast. We didn't realize it at the time we were recording this episode, but this actually turned out to be Trey's final episode as co-host of the podcast. Trey has tendered his resignation. He's going to be moving on to other projects and stepping back from Accelerated Culture. So with that, let's listen to the episode. Trey, what year are we on? 1988. Sorry, I was having a technical difficulty there. Oh, do you need me to wait? No, we're good. My mic almost fell off the table, and I, I thought you saw me like stopping it and leaning forward. Yeah, so we just finished The Joshua Tree, 1987. Great, great album. Great, great episode, Trey. Thank you for doing that one with yeah, me. Yeah, that was a good one. It looks like somebody shared that, so. Oh, good. So, somebody watched it. <laughs> listen good, to good, it good good actually you know who shared it was my mother oh okay my i didn't go look at it i was at work when i saw it i didn't and yeah. i forgot to go back and look at it yeah it was it was my mother does she does she actively listen to the show she does occasionally if it's an album she likes well hey laurie's mom if you're listening to this one thanks for listening to us that's kind of cool i don't think my mom even knows what a podcast is all right. So, Trey, you and I have chosen 10 songs each from the year 1988. Now, there are some bands that are going to be noticeably absent from this list because we're going to do a few album deep dives after this. But this is a good, I guess, primer for 1988. It was definitely an amazing year for, I'm looking at the list now that you've sent me on my phone. This that was such a fun year, man. It's going to be a lot of reminiscing for me again on this one. Yeah, me too. And it was really hard limiting it down to 10 songs for me. As soon as we got to this one, I knew what I was picking. I mean, I had it, you know, shoot. I turned 18 this year. Okay. And this was just a, a wow year. Saw NXS later that summer. Oh, nice. Was that the Calling All Nations tour? Yep. I guess it was September. That's not technically summer for you, but we we still call it summer down here. Yeah, you very know, nice. I, these, I, I owned almost all of these. So I'll start us off, Trey. Uh, one of your favorite artists, <laughs> her voice seething with sarcasm. This is Morrissey, and the song is called Suede Head.
I'm just gonna be nice. <laughs> That's... Oh, okay, all right. Have I already done a Morrissey rant on the show? I'll spare the audience this week. Okay. This was Morrissey's first solo release after the breakup of the Smiths. It was co-written by Morrissey and producer Stephen Street. The B-side was Hairdresser on Fire, which is another spectacular song. Again, I know you don't agree, Trey. Morrissey has said that this was written about someone he knew in his teens, although he never actually said who. A suede head is a kind of a skinhead. It's like a skinhead whose uh, hair has grown out slightly. But the person he wrote it about may or may not have been a skinhead. We don't really know. The reason I chose this song, Trey, is this reminds me very much of somebody that I was absolutely head over heels in love with, and he treated me very cruelly. There are a couple lines in this song that just sound like things that he had said to me. You had to sneak into my room just to read my diary. It was just to see all the things you knew I'd written about you. And he had journals. He was obsessive about his journaling. I I hear this song and I think of him. I mean, I did have some good memories with him, you know, before it all fell apart. So, I mean, this song will forever in, in my mind be associated with this one person. I can't even bring this song up in my mind. I honestly can't say I've ever even heard it. I remember 120 minutes went ballistic with the video, and I turned the sound down. Really? Yeah. Just because, just on principle, because it's Morrissey. Even back then, I just thought he was a jerk. I just, you know, you look at how some of these bands treat their fans and how appreciative and just I'm not gonna name other bands' names, but in the stuff he does, just yeah, it's just unworthy of the attention he gets, in my opinion. I, I just don't agree with that. Uh, ugh. Well, you know, I feel conflicted, not just with him, with a lot of artists that I like, because some of the artists I like have done some really despicable things. Now, I'm not saying Morrissey's done anything more despicable than canceling his shows 800 times. But, you know, some of the artists I like have really done some horrible things. And can you separate the art from the artist and i would argue that you you should certain cases yes but you're going as far as costing fans hard-earned money they spent on your show that's that's really a bit far and of course they get their money back but yeah a stuff he pulled in california last year cost a promoter about a million dollars to be fair the promoter probably knew what he was getting into <laughs> I said the same thing. I'm like, what in the hell would you give Morrissey a guarantee for? I, I, uh, uh. Yeah, yeah. Well, it looks like the next one is also mine, Trey. Do you have anything else you want to say about Morrissey? Nothing, nothing, not, I have nothing nice to say. <laughs> so I should be silent. Good. Right, let's just get it out of the way then. We got it out of the way. So, Trey, I, uh, my musical tastes really kind of run the gamut. You know, I've said this before. We all did that in the 80s. For instance, I, I'm passionate about hair metal era heart. You know, we all have stuff like that from back then we love. Yeah. So, so this one might come as a surprise to some of my friends who are listening. But I love this next band, Pretty Poison. And this was their song, Catch Me, I'm Falling.
you remember that one, Trey? Oh, of course. I was gonna say I, I can't I can't bring that Morrissey song into my head. This one pop right into it. Catch yeah. me now, I'm falling. Ding 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 ding. This one was everywhere. MTV played the shit out of it. You know, go in a store, you'd hear it. People don't understand back then stores would play top forty radio out. Yeah, yeah. As you said, this was all over MTV. This was the band's biggest hit. Arguably, they are considered one-hit wonders. It was featured on the soundtrack of the John Cryer film called Hiding Out. Well, that that was a dead movie. Yeah, it's a concept that's a little far-fetched, but I mean, I guess no more far-fetched than the plot of 21 Jump Street with a bunch of adult cops pretending to be high schoolers. So hiding out, John Cryer is, I believe is an accountant or some kind of financial services person who gets in trouble with the mob. And so yep. he basically bleaches his hair, changes his clothes and hides out as a high school student. I always say he turns into Johnny Rotten and it was undercover at high school because that's what he looked like. <laughs> T.I.L. was also on the soundtrack. Where are they? What song did they do? I don't remember. Seattle's on there. I think okay. it plays over the opening credits, doesn't it? Oh, I, you know, I'll, it's been a few years since I've seen That's, it. That was a one and done for me. Yeah. The song remained in the top 40 in the USA for 14 weeks and peaked at number eight. The band name Pretty Poison is a reference or an homage to the 1968 film starring Tuesday Weld and Anthony Perkins called Pretty Poison. The band is from Philadelphia. Lead singer Jade Starling is a well-known LGBTQ activist. She's now based in New Jersey. She's had a few solo albums since then. She's really well-known for her activism. She donated profits from the Pretty Poison song Let Freedom Ring to support gay marriage rights. So, I mean, for that reason alone, I think she's worth including in 88 because that was very ahead of its time i think in 88 and she's always been out in the forefront and always been advocating for the gay and lesbian community so good on her she's an amazing woman pretty cool yeah and they had another minor hit didn't they it seems like they had one like summer of 87 didn't they and then this one or was this first and all right, so there was Nighttime that came out in 84. Then they re-released Nighttime in 88. Then there was When I Look in Your Eyes. That's what I'm thinking of, yeah. When I Look Into Your Eyes, okay. Yeah, that's the one that's just a ballad. Yeah, no, I mean, I enjoy that album. I mean, it's it's fluff, synth pop, you know, but it's it's fun. So I enjoy it from time to time. So Trey, the next song is yours. Up next, we have Tower of Strength by the Mission UK.
I'm on the fence about permission. Uh, Wayne Hussey and Craig Adams were once members of the Sisters of Mercy and had a very famous falling out with Andrew Elrich in 1985. And they quickly started a band called Sisterhood, which Andrew then promptly jumped in the studio, recorded a literally a bunch of nonsensical, nonsensical songs, put them out under the name Sisterhood and stopped them. So Wayne and Craig had to change their name to the... Uh, Mission UK. But anyways, like I said, and they're, they're real hit or miss to me, but I actually love this song. Did you listen to it, Lori? I did. You know, I'd never heard this one before. I gotta say, the first two minutes and 47 seconds are dull. But then it picks up. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost a goth power ballad, which is probably exactly what they were intending. Yeah. I mean, it definitely has some Middle Eastern influences with the strings and the acoustic guitars. The <laughs> lyrics are pretentious as all hell, though. Yeah, it, yeah, mean, that's one of the biggest gripes about the mission is their lyrics can be pretty terrible. Yeah. So from what I understand, from what I read about this, Trey, and this might be your understanding as well, that this was their... Oh, to their fans, you know, thank you for sticking with us and being our tower of strength but it just kind of comes off as just very saccharine it's the best song the album the album's yeah. called children this is the best song on it they did a cover of aerosmith's dream on on this album which i was like this is terrible yeah. you know wade hussey was once dead or alive guitar player and appears in the uh brand new lover video oh okay before he joined the Sisters of Mercy. Okay. Uh, now, uh, why are they Mission UK? There was some usually... man, in, the usual story with that, there was a man in America called the Mission, so they, in the UK, the Mission UK is just the Mission every the year. Mission, the mission, right. I think they're just back to being the Mission everywhere now. Yeah. So, All right. There'll be more on them in a later episode. They actually did do one really, really good album. We'll get to that when it comes out. Okay. Well, thank you for exposing me to something new here. All right. So did my pick, next one. <laughs> did you pick this one or me? I picked this one. Okay. I was going to pick it too. Now, I never would have had you pegged for a They Might Be Giants Oh, who fan. doesn't like They Might Be Giants? Okay. Well, at least their second album, Lincoln, I really liked. And this was the first single off that album. It's called Anna Eng. Make a hole with a gun perpendicular To the name of this town in a desktop globe Exit wound in a foreign nation Showing the home of the one this was written for My apartment looks upside down from there Water spirals the wrong way out the sink And her voice is a backwards record It's like a whirlpool and it never So they might be giants, Trey, as you know, are John Flansburg and John Linnell. Boy, I'm, I, I think they're from New York City, aren't they? Oh, I don't know. I think they are New York or New Jersey. One of the two. The band itself is named after the George C. Scott movie 
called They Might Be Giants in 1971, which in turn was taken from a passage in Don Quixote about how Quixote mistook windmills for evil giants. I love this song because it's so quirky and it is so different than everything else that was on the radio at this time, especially with the accordion. You know, this song to me just, this sums up alternative music of 1988. You never knew. It was just so varied. Mm-hmm. You know, you use watching 120 minutes, you never knew what the hell you were going to see. Something quirky and silly like this, something gothic like the sisters, or, you know, you just never knew what they were going to drum up for you next. And it was great. So much fun being in the music back then. Stuff like this going on. This is a great band, great people. Actually, these guys came and played here in 96, and it was a great show. It was in a really small place, and there's like three or four of them cramped in this corner. And, you know, they acted like they were in a big arena, you know. As much as you can with an accordion, I suppose. <laughs> they had, I mean, they did it. They had their accordions and a tuba at one point, and, you know, they, they put on a full show and rolled with the punches, and it was fun. Nice cool. people, too. They came out mingled with the crowd. They're really cool guys, cracking jokes, and, you know. They they do seem very genuine, just from every interview I've ever seen with them. So. And who, who could forget, was it 1-800-Dial-A-Song that was printed in all their albums, and you could call it, it would be a new song, like, almost every day or every week. I know it was printed, and I had this album and the first one. Is this the one with the, is it third song? There's only two songs in me, and I just wrote the third. No, and the, where no. I got the inspiration, or where I got the words. No, this is the one that's got Cowtown and Purple Toupee. No, I, I don't know that one. So, <laughs> See, yeah, this is, yeah, this is the only album of theirs that I ever actually owned. This is another one of those bands that everybody liked them. You know, I got real sick of them after a while because so many of my friends were so into them. But anyway, I didn't realize until I was researching for this episode. So the song title was actually inspired by the New York City phone book. Is it? I knew that. Okay, well, I didn't. So you're a step ahead of me because Eng is a very common Cantonese surname. You know, I guess in the New York City phone book, there were pages and pages of it. But the song itself is really kind of about a relationship gone bad and all the challenges of relationships, especially long-distance relationships. There's this beautiful line. When I was driving once, I saw this painted on a bridge. I don't want the world. I just Just want want your your half. Yes. There's actually a clip on YouTube somewhere where they were on 120 minutes when this came out and they said what you just said today, Kendall. He asked him, you know, why would you call a song this? And then the phone book came. Yeah? Oh, okay. So, see, you're, you know more than I do. Speaking of quirky music, Trey, the way we've ordered this is a little bit different than usual. Usually, Trey, you and I alternate. Now, you did a good job. This gives it a really good flow. We, you, well, we thank need you. to keep, keep this format. I think this works better. Okay. Well, so... The next song is also mine. I think our listeners are going to be like, what is this Laurie show? But no, Trey's got some in here too. Like I said, 10 and 10. Arguably the most life-changing band I have ever experienced, and that is the Pixies. And in 88, they put out a single called Gigantic. Let's listen. 
And this I know, his teeth as white as snow. What a gas it was to see him. Walk her every day into a shady place. With a lip she said, Say Trey, so much love for this song. Kim Deal is the reason that I tried to teach myself to play bass. And actually, this is one of the first songs that I learned on bass. She's a very talented lady. Oh, she's amazing. She co-wrote this song with the uh, vocalist slash guitarist of the band, Black Francis, a.k.a. Charles Thompson IV. The other two members of the Pixies... David Lovering on drums and Joey Santiago on guitar. So this was the first single off of their first full album, Surfer Rosa. They had come out with an EP previously, but this was their first album. And on the album credits, Kim Deal is listed as Mrs. John Murphy, which I think is absolutely hilarious because I think it's poking fun at the older tradition that our parents and grandparents would have had where you take the husband's name and you kind of lose your identity. Um, they ended up getting divorced anyway. Was that seven shacks and marrying the John Murphy? You've told me this story before. But if, I, yeah, might I think have, you have having a message on, you know. Yeah, because, you know, I'm obsessed with her. So they recorded this song in the studio bathroom because they wanted to get a more echoey sound. And in the very beginning where Black Francis is kind of doing that, uh, you can kind of hear that echo. And that's because they actually recorded it in a bathroom. I've seen the Pixies live many, many times. And this is often performed as an encore in the band's live set. At least it was when Kim was still in the band. Kim is now no longer in the band. I haven't seen them since she left, so I don't know. You know, I've actually seen Frank Black, but not the Pixies. Oh, yeah. If that makes any sense. And how was he? He was okay. I I, I like the Pixies. I'm just not huge into him. He was all right. He didn't play any Pixie song. It was all that stuff off his first solo album back in, what, 93? Yeah, and I really like that album, too. That's, I think, my favorite album of his. People that worked at the radio station that brought him here said he was a real jerk to him. You've heard that before. I've heard I was that. like, you know, guys, he could have just been just in the middle of a tour, dudes, you know. Well, I mean, that's also part of the reason that Kim left the band because he was kind of a jerk to her. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah, that. yeah. Oh, they said he was an ass. Yeah, I've heard that before. So, <laughs> I had read there's a, an oral history of the Pixies, and Kim's talking about when she came up with the idea for the song, and she was just kind of having some fun with the lyrics, and she start jokingly started singing. The mall, the mall, the mall, let's have a ball. And eventually it evolved into the song that we hear now. And it's about voyeurism. It's about a woman watching another woman and a black man underneath a tree having sex. That 
culminates in the chorus, gigantic, a big, big love. So it's uh, it's a little bit naughty. Not the kind of topic that we would expect a female songwriter in the 80s to write about, but she was all about crushing gender stereotypes. And I adore her. She's one of my heroes. We'll have to do a deep dive on last class when we get out past the 80s. Oh, hell yes. 93. Well, you're seeing them in yep. a couple of weeks here. Yeah, I am. I, and I can't wait. I've seen them a few times. And, and so the breeders are Kim and her twin sister, Kelly, and two other band members, Josephine, and I can't remember the gentleman's name, but uh, yeah, they're, they're so good. So excited. I saw them in a, the breeders in 94 at Lollapalooza, and their stage setup was like the Price is Right set. Really? Yeah. Even the little podiums and skinny 70s mics, you name it. Oh, wow. That's wild. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah. Well, hey, on the subject of female vocalist, Trey, why don't you tell us your next song? Up next, we have Crash by The Primitives. Yeah, this is just such a fun song. It's almost like a more alternative Go-Go's to me, though know, there was only one girl in the group. You know, this was another one, Trey, that I'd never heard. You just never weren't a hundred. And... You weren't a 120-minute spotcher, and it shows. No, no, I, I wasn't. <laughs> I found it boring. I used to love postmodern on MTV. How could you say 120 minutes was boring? What, what on because that? for every for every one good song, you had to sit through six or seven duds. But that was the point of it, and that's... And a lot of it was very low energy. Postmodern, which was their nightly half-hour alternative show. Yeah, but Kevin Seal... I don't remember who hosted it. Yeah, it was Kevin Seal. Somebody took it over about 1990 when Kevin left MTV. I remember when they used to have guest hosts, and I actually remember the Pixies guest hosting I was going to say, mid-1990, they just started letting a band host it for a week. Yeah, and I loved that, and I, I discovered so much new music for that, but it was a lot more up-tempo. I mean, there was a lot less, you know, like, folksy kind of dreary. I think it was a... Halloween of 1990, Concrete, well, that week, Concrete Lawn hosted it. But anyways, 120 minutes was great. I had 120 minutes. <laughs> I can't believe that. Anyways, let's move on. This well, is just such okay? a great, this was such, <laughs> I was, I guess I was about to get on a soapbox, but we'll, we'll save that for a very special episode. You know, unfortunately, this album wasn't all that great. This band disintegrated shortly after this, but they they reunited in 2018 and was playing shows again across the UK. It's uh, the singer's name is a very attractive woman. She went by the name Tracy Tracy. Tracy Tracy. Yeah, I think one of these okay. guys went on to. I think one of them played an Echo and the Bunnymen for a while after their drummer was killed. It was it 89 when Pete DeFritis was killed in a motorcycle accident. Yeah, sounds about right. Mm-hmm. 
I think that's, I couldn't be thinking of a rubber band, but anyways, so did you like it? Oh yeah, it was cute. It was cute. I really liked the, um, what was it? The la 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 part of it. No, 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 no. I still play, this is one of my playlists that I play over time. It's one of my favorite songs from that year. You know, I do remember seeing a photograph of your guy Morrissey wearing a Primitives t-shirt. It's a Photoshop. He wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't allow Are you that. Sure? No, yeah. Really? I'm being sarcastic, silly. Or silly. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Sorry. That's why the band didn't take off. As a Morrissey Ward? <laughs> yeah, he damned them. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, I, you know, I was very surprised to learn that this song actually went to number three on the U.S. modern rock chart. Yeah, it was. MTV was playing it. It went in the, what would you say, medium rotation? You know how they had stuff they would play over and over during the day, and after about nine at night, it would it would yeah broaden a little. It got off into there. It was, I think it was in the buzz bin, too. You know, it sounds like it should be in a movie soundtrack, doesn't it? Doesn't yeah. it sound like it belongs in like a um, like a John Hughes film or something? I can see that. I, I can totally see some chick in a prom just walk, you know, getting ready with this playing. I, I see what you're saying. I mean, it's a, it's it's a catchy song. I don't know how I missed it in '88. Like I said, you didn't watch your 120 minutes. You were missing uh, out. You missed out on yeah. so much. I had a short. I still do have a short attention span. I can't do anything. I can't do anything for 120 minutes, let alone watch a TV show. I used to tape it and then come <laughs> and look. You know, I would listen to a few seconds of a song that didn't grab me. I would go on. Ah, okay. So I can't say you're wrong. They did play some stuff where I was like, "What the fuck is this?" You know. Okay. Up next, you know, we may have to add an album beat dive. Okay. Because this this is another album I could write a freaking dissertation on. Up next, we have Under the Milky Way by the Church. Is this where you're going to tell me you weren't familiar with this one? No, I know. I love this one. If you hadn't picked this one, I would have picked this one. This was such an out-of-nowhere top 40 hit from a relatively obscure Australian band at that point in time. You know, I, I was thinking back. I can't remember if I had heard these guys before this or if this was my intro tool. But I remember seeing the world premiere of this video over the the weekend before Valentine's of 1988 and just being like, holy wow. You know, this is one of those that just blew me out of the water. The instant I heard it. I don't think I'd had heard them because I remember sitting there going, who the fuck is the church? So they knew, you know, come to find out they had six, five, six previous albums. This is off of their fifth album, Starfish, right? Right. And this album is absolutely freaking 
phenomenal. I mean, this is literally one of the best albums ever recorded. Yeah. I mean, it's just, do you, have you ever heard the whole album, Lori? I have. You know, I have never seen the video, Trey. There's two. But I used to work in a record store, and that's where I discovered this. We would play this in the record store. Now, if you were to ask me, you know, like the names of the songs or anything, right? I don't know them. This is the only one that I know, but I do know it was a fantastic album. You know, this is one of those albums where it'll creep into my head one day and I'll listen to it for a month straight over and over and over and over and over and just can't stop. Actually, me and my infamous high school girlfriend that saw him in Atlanta that June and they played at this place called Center Stage, probably maybe haunts a thousand people and they blew the freaking doors off of the place. I mean, just nice. Just so at that time, man, I really had no idea the band was going to be that freaking stellar live, and they just went off. That's cool. So there's a couple things I know about this song, and then there's something I don't, but I suspect you do, so I'm going to ask you. According to the press release that was issued with Starfish, the title of the song is from an Amsterdam music venue called Melkweg, or Melkweg which is Dutch for Milky Way. And singer Steve Kilby used to frequent this club. This was their biggest hit, going to number two on the Billboard chart, and would later be featured in one of my favorite movies, Donnie Darko, 2001. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. So it features a 12-string guitar, which is a little bit unusual. Is it? And then the synth in this is, especially towards the end, it's reminiscent of bagpipes almost. What kind of synth is that? It's not a synth, it's just an Ebo. And what is an Ebo again? I know you've told me and I've forgotten. It's sort of a U-shaped thing. You, The hand you would hold your pick with on your guitar, you move that over the strings. Big country use them too. Yeah, yeah, okay. And it makes it sound almost like a bagpipe? There are some synthesizers, yeah. Those little shimmery things at the end, those are synthesizers for sure. I don't, I don't know what they use, but I know Laddie Latchell played them. Do you know who that is? No. You know that weird-looking guy in Stevie Nicks' band with the long red hair? No. He's a guitar player, but it's him. He, he's a music producer. Okay. Too, in addition to being an associate of Stevie Nicks. But, yeah, that's an Ebo. And I know we've talked about it before, and it might have been in the context of Big Country, now that I'm thinking about it. So, hey, Trey, the church is on tour again this fall. Did you know that? Yeah, but I did. They're supporting their 26th studio album, which is called... The Hypnagogue, and they have a new single that just came out this week. The single is called Realm of Minor Angels. Now, I have not listened to it yet. There's two camps with church fans. One who is okay with what they're doing, and the other group, which I'm a member of, thinks they're nothing without Marty Wilson Piper as the guitar player. And I, they're just not the same with only one original member. Let's put it that way. And I applaud... Uh, Steve Kilby for continuing on and doing what he does best. That's fine. At the end of the day, it's his band. He can do whatever he likes, but it's just not the same without those four original guys to me by any stretch of the imagination. Okay. Not saying I dislike them. I just, you know, they just, Marty is sorely missed in the band. Kind of like Peter from New Order. They're just not the same without him. You're right. 26 albums. Church put out an album a year, basically. And most people don't realize that, and that's fantastic. It's wonderful that they have that much output. Yeah, doing what they love, right? 
Yes, one last thing to add about this album was that distinctive guitar sounds due to Marty Wilson Piper's use of uh, Rickenbacker guitars. So that's that's part of how they got the sound on this album. We, we totally, we should really do a deep dive on this one. I don't know if you'd be into it, you are. I'm open to it. I mean, I don't own the album. I'd have to go out and buy it. But I didn't yeah. even listen to it on YouTube. Yeah, I buy albums. I don't. I don't stream. So you know, for the context of the show, a lot of this stuff, I just bring it up on there and listen to it. Now, it is cool of you to be supporting the artists. That's very y'all. Y'all take note of that audience. Buy people's music. That's the best way to do it. Laurie is absolutely correct there. Oh, well, thank you. Okay, so what is, uh, oh, the next one is me. Hey. You, yeah, okay. A band that I think you and I both love, Trey, that burst onto the scene in 88. I love these guys. Information Society. They took the U.S. by storm with this song, What's On Your Mind, Pure Energy. Let's listen. Trey, what's on your mind? This is such a fun song, man. The Star Trek samples, everything. The video was so cool with the cardboard cutouts and the, was it Kurt Harlan, his hair. It was just so much fun. Oh, I that man's hair, I'm still to this day envious of his hair. He had the most beautiful hair in the world. He still got it. Does he? I mean, I haven't seen what he looks like recently, but... Look up, well, he, he still got... He's, Gotta be 60, and he's still got a nice set of long ear. In the Hack album, their second album, in the liner notes, there's a picture of him with like a, a black and red kind of faux hawk, but I mean, it's like really long. It's, oh, so gorgeous. Yeah, okay, so where to start with this? There's so much to unpack here. Trey, you mentioned the Star Trek samples. They've got Spock saying pure energy. And the song actually begins with McCoy saying, uh, Dr. McCoy, uh, it's worked so far, but we're not out yet. And in the long version of the song, there's also Captain Kirk saying destruction. So is that Captain you know Kirk? What? I didn't know yeah. that was Captain Kirk. Yeah, that, that's uh, William Shatner. That's William Shatner. Yeah. Do you know how, how they got the rights to these samples? Mr. Spock's son. Yes, I didn't know that. How did you know this? Why did you uh, not tell me? Something on M- M- MTV interviewing these guys back in the day, and they asked them, and Kurt went, Mr. Spock's, or what's Leonard Nimoy's son as a fan, and he managed to get the clearance for us. Yeah, Adam Nimoy was a fan, yeah. and that's exactly right. So the band is from Minneapolis, St. Paul, consisting primarily of Kurt Harlan Larson, Paul Robb, was known for another of other 80s synth pop acts and James Cassidy and then keyboardist Amanda Kramer rounded up the lineup now Amanda is now with the psychedelic furs she's actually in a couple of bands she's in the Thompson Clones 
she's in uh she's basically a hired hand now and she's super super talented so when she was i'm sure you know was fired from the band by the end of yeah. summer 88 and she well she owns up I, I i give her a lot of credit for that she she you know she takes the blame for her actions which i think is very cool and she's obviously still doing very well for herself. So, oh, I mean, she shaped herself out. She said that shook her into reality. She quit drugs and, you know. Yeah. So the song started out as a 10 minute instrumental jam. And uh, this was while Information Society was trying to record their first album. And Tommy Boy Records started to get really frustrated with them because they were spending so much money in the studio but had nothing to show for it. And Tommy Boy was really pressuring them to make a hit. Paul Robb came up with the chorus he said was partly inspired by Peter Gabriel's Sledgehammer as well as Duran Duran. And after the chorus, he and Kurt Harlan wrote the verses together. This was the first single from their self-titled album. It went to number one on the U.S. dance chart and number three on the Billboard Hot 100. And you could not get away from this song in the fall and winter of 88. Uh, it was everywhere. Yes. Trey, I'm hoping when we get to 1990, we can do an album deep dive on Information Society's second album, which is called Hack, because I think it is a really underrated, really amazing album. We can do that. I like I, I like everything these guys have put out, even their industrial album that Kurt put out essentially by himself in the 90s. And you, you might be surprised, and I don't know what gear they used on this. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit of everything. I know there's several Rolands and there's an Isonic ESQ one, but outside of that, I've even seen Kurt Harlan say that they had so many synthesizers at that point, Tom, that it was, he, he couldn't even sit down and listen to it and tell you what was what, you know, now. So, yeah, I believe it. Up next, we have the Sugar Cues with the single Cold Sweat off of their debut, Life's Too Good. So, listeners, Trey just threw me for a loop. I honestly have <laughs> never listened to this song. He just pulled it out of uh, out of thin air and said, "This is what he's doing." So, I am listening <laughs> to it for the first time along with you. I pulled a Elvis Costello on Saturday Night Live on her. Ah, okay. Familiar with that? Yes, I am, and that's why he got banned. Yes, I have no idea what this one's about. We just watched a few minutes of the video, and apparently somebody robs somebody, and Bjork looks really hot, and then they're swimming in the treasures he stole. That's, you know, actually, oddly, the first time I saw this video, I had the sound off and just happened to look up, and there was she's laying in the gold. I thought it was Susie and the Banshees. Really? So, like, I hop up and, you know, go run into the TV and cut the volume out. I'm like, what? That out. I was like, this isn't Susie and the Banshees. But no, I, I've never heard this one before. I do understand, you know, when 
Bjork broke with the sugar cubes, began her solo act in the early 90s, one of the things that she had said repeatedly is that she wanted to do her own music, her own style. And I can kind of see how listening to something like this, it's a lot more commercial, but I can kind of see that it's not really her. You know what I mean? No? I actually think this this album's great. The Sugar Keeps further two albums weren't all that great. Her solo stuff is fantastic. So I think she got disillusioned with the direction the rest of the Sugar Keeps took the band in. Cause yeah. What was that song they had in like 92, Virginia? That was just absolutely terrible. I don't know if I know that one. Oh, God. It's terrible. Yeah. So obviously, for our listeners who don't know, they're a band from Iceland. What else can we say about them? I don't know. This was a, you know, this was one of those surprise hits there and followed. Actually, I think this came out and followed. The album came out and followed 87. And the single was from 88. But this was one of those surprise hits. Like nobody ever heard of the band, nothing. And all of a sudden, boom, they're, you know, selling a couple of hundred thousand copies of a record and they're, you know, gotten regular rotation on MTV and all. And I don't think they were expecting it either. Oh, no, totally not. This song didn't chart in the U.S., but it looks like it did go to number one on the U.K. indie charts. Did the album chart, though, itself? Let's see. Yeah, number, it went to 54 in the U.S. If you get in a hot 100, I consider that successful, especially for an alternative rock band from freaking Iceland, you know. But uh, this is such a great album, man. Anyone that's never heard it, you need to sit down and listen to it. It's, it's a fantastic album of an acquired taste everybody either really loves them or hates them there's no in between well it's, it's like i was saying at the start of the show with they might be giants it's, you know alternative music was so much fun back then because it was so all over the, i mean look at the variety of alternative bands we just gone through on this show and they, they're all radically different than the other it was, it was just so much fun back then with all this great music everywhere all right so my next song trey Maybe people won't recognize the artist or the song name, but you will recognize the song once you hear it. This is called Goodbye Horses by Q Lazarus. Now, come on, admit it. You're picturing that scene from Silence of the Lambs. Well, uh, Buffalo Bill doing the little pee-pee dance, no? Again, thank you to 120 Minutes. I was aware of this one before that movie. Were you really? Mm-hmm. Well, I was too, but then because of the Married to the Mob soundtrack, which you and I have talked oh, about yeah, before. yeah, it was on that, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. I just, so that's in the Free to Watch section of YouTube lately, and I... Watched it a few weeks ago, but I wasn't half paying attention to it. I'll have to watch it. It's a fun movie. Do you know anything about Q Lazarus? Apparently it's a woman. 
Mm-hmm. She's a bit of a woman of mystery. She may or may not have died back a few years ago. So she was a New Jersey cab driver named right. Diane Lucky. The full name of the band was actually Q, Lazarus, and the Resurrection. But for some reason, the song just got credited to Q, Lazarus. During a blizzard, she happened to pick up filmmaker Jonathan Demi in her cab. And she started asking him some questions. She thought he might be a music producer. And so she was asking him, you know, hey, are, are you in the music business? And he says, well, no. But she played him her demo tape in the cab. And he replied, oh, my God, what is this and who are you? She'd previously been turned away by all the major record labels that she was shopping it to because of her appearance. She had dreadlocks. Jonathan Demi absolutely fell in love with her music, and her song Candle Goes Away was then included in Demi's 1986 film Something Wild with Don Johnson and Melanie Griffith. Jonathan Demi's another one I made here that always had fantastic music in his movies. He really did. I argue maybe even better music than John Hughes. Uh, that, that, controversial. Little controversial there. That, that That's a debatable point. That, that That's okay. a good debate topic. I, you, you, he's neck and neck, I would say. Neck and neck. Okay. So, Goodbye Horses was written by Q's bandmate, William Garvey, and it was released in 1988. Now, he stated in interviews that the song is about escaping death. As a matter of fact... So uh, William Garvey said it's about transcendence over those who see the world as only earthly and finite. The horses represent the five senses from Hindu philosophy and the ability to lift one's perception above these physical limitations and to see beyond this limited earthly perspective. A little bit deep there. I had no idea if there was that much meaning behind Yeah, this. yeah, yeah. I just thought it was a dance hit and, you know, got in a movie. Well, it got into several movies. So as we mentioned, it was used in the soundtracks to Jonathan Demme's film Married to the Mob in 88. The Silence of the Lambs in 1991 and Clerks 2 in 2006. Jason Mewes is basically reenacting the scene from The Silence yeah. of the Lambs. <laughs> yes. Now... Hugh disappeared from the music business entirely, and in fact, there were rumors going around that she wasn't even cashing her royalty checks. And I would imagine those were some pretty big checks, oh, given yeah. the success of the movies. Now, an editor of a music magazine did manage to locate her in 2018 and found that she had retired from music and was working very happily as a bus driver. Last year... There was a documentary film in the works called Goodbye Horses, The Many Lives of Q Lazarus. Rumor has it that the movie is supposed to be released later this year. However, Diane died on July 19th, 2022, last year of an unknown illness. Wasn't there some speculation that it wasn't actually her that died? I hadn't heard that. Wasn't there a bit of a drama around that at first? And it turns out it was her that died, or I don't know. I might be thinking of somebody else. I hadn't heard that. You know, one of the things I really appreciate about this song and about her is it's it's almost androgynous. You know what I mean? I mean, she has such a deep voice 
that it could be a man or could be a woman. And I think uh, for a long time, I think I did think Q Lazarus was a man. I, I figured it was a man with a woman in the group. I, I didn't. It's hard to find info about this whole thing up until rather recently. Well, that's why I'm really excited about this documentary, and I hope that they're still going to put it out. Uh, you know, because they were working on the documentary when she died. So I really hope that it does come out because I love music documentary. It's one of my favorite genres of film. I would absolutely, I, I would watch the hell out of that. So, hey, you know what? I thought of one more thing I want to throw in about Q Lazarus. There is this line in the song, I've been there. I've seen my hopes and dreams lying on the ground. I've seen the sky just begin to fall. And who does not know how to relate to that, right? We've all been at a low point like that. I, I just, I love that line. That is such a good line. Up next, we have Cowboy Junkies on their debut album, The Trinity Sessions, with a cover of the Lou Reed song, Sweet Jane. huge huge fan of the cowboy junkies i'm so happy that you chose this song i've seen them live several times really They're always amazing oh yeah and one of our earlier dates i dragged don to see them live and don takes everything so literally and he's like they weren't cowboys and they weren't junkies so he was like a little disappointed i don't i don't know what he was expecting but it is kind of a punk rock sound and name I guess they chose it. They were uh, scheduled to go on stage for a show and they didn't have a name for themselves. And they just kind of chose it on the fly as they were getting ready to go out on the stage. So they're an alternative country and folk rock band formed in Toronto, consisting of Margot Timmons, who is the vocalist, her brother Peter Timmons, the drummer, her brother Michael Timmons, who is the songwriter and guitarist, and Alan Anton on bass. It's, you know, this is one, a rare cover where it's actually better than the original by Miles. Oh, I agree. And you mentioned this was a cover of the Velvet Underground's Sweet Jane. This was based on the live version, which is on the album 1969, The Velvet Underground Live, rather than the later studio version from Loaded in 1970. And th this whole album, I, I don't, you know what, I don't know much of their material past this but this is just such a wonderful album it's all covers and it just absolutely makes me think of the 1950s for some reason the trinity sessions yeah it, the whole album has like a nor vibe to it to me a what a what like a nor vibe nor how do you say that nor noir noir i'm a southerner there's words we can't say like film noir What's your face? Danielle will get a kick out of this. You listen to this one. <laughs> I did, y'all. So 
this song didn't chart as a single when it was released. It, the single was released in 89. The album it's on, the Trinity Sessions, was released in 88. Really? I thought this was... Okay. Mm -hmm. the, it's on the album. The album came out in 88. However, they re-released the single in 1994 as part of the Natural Born Killers soundtrack, and then it went to number 52. Really? Why I knew it was in that movie. I didn't know it charted. You know, went back in after that. Well, you couldn't turn on the radio without hearing this in the 90s, 94. You know who assembled that soundtrack, don't you? Uh, yeah, the producer, and I can't think of her name, but no. I read her book. Jane Hampshire. No. Yes. Trent Reznor. No. I she picked he... all of the songs to, to bring to um, Oliver Stone stuff from her own collection. This one and the Leonard Cohen song. Uh, everything that was on here was from her own collection. Now, they may have brought Trent Reznor in to do like a remix. The well, one he Trent Reznor he just was the producer. I thought he had take, I, I thought he had some of the songs too. I stand correct in there, audience. Yeah, he did all the remixes and put all the noises and shit in there. Oh, I gotcha. I gotcha. And then Nina Chanel did a song, Burn, for the soundtrack. Yes, that was a good one. I never was a part of you, Burn. Trip Rusnos says that they had, you know, it picked a bunch of previously used songs and he said, why don't I remix some of these and reassemble them so you're not just putting out, you know, stuff everybody already knows. So, yeah. Okay. All right. Now that makes sense. That makes sense. Oliver Stone had gotten taken without a snails and contacted Trent and said, why don't you score this movie? And Trent I don't really have time to compose a whole soundtrack. So this... How this happened, I don't know. I guess that woman got involved in it. You know, it did, most of this he assembled in a hotel room while on tour. Did a little portable studio he carried with him and worked on this. And Killer Instinct is the name of the book. Killer Instinct. How two young producers took on Hollywood and made the most controversial film of the decade. So, and she explains how she was just picking songs out of her own personal collection. And they were things that Oliver Stone had never heard. He'd never heard Cowboy Junkies. Well, I wonder how in the hell he heard None of Snails, but not none of these other bands. Well, I can see that. Yeah. Because None of Snails got pretty big there in 92, so. Yeah. All right. Anything else about Cowboy Junkies? I think that about covers it. You know, they're still recording. They're still touring. They're still going strong. Yes, they are. And indeed, they are. Absolutely fantastic live act if you ever get the chance to see them, listeners. I'm bringing that list back up. It's all right. The next two songs are mine. Oh, okay. Okay. So um, next up, Trey, I have a band from your neck of the woods, R.E.M., and their single Orange Crush. Yeah. 
another just absolutely wonderful song and absolutely wonderful album. And again, I saw this tour too. Yeah. But you go ahead. Why don't you click this one, Maury? It's, I think, a, one of their stronger songs around this time. It's, you know, got that rapid fire drumming and, and guitar at the beginning that kind of mimics the sound of a machine gun. I mean, it's a protest song. Mm-hmm. Michael Stipe, the lead singer, explained that it's about a young man from America who played football leaving to go to war in Vietnam. And the title Orange Crush actually refers to Agent Orange. Yep. The whole song is strong from beginning to end. We are agents of the free, you know, rah, rah, America, but there's this darker underside to it, you know, all the veterans that came back. And, you know, how many people developed cancer as a result of Agent Orange, you know? How many people, how many, how many Americans died, you know, and for what? So there's this really kind of sad undertext to it. And like you too, REM has never shied away from political, controversial topics. I, I was going to say, they, they kind of like go hand in hand here. And, and have you ever heard this entire album? Yes, I, 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 I've owned it since it came out. I didn't know. It was, you know, it was just, just such a, I lo- you know, a song I really like is You Are the Everything. Yeah, that's a good one. And uh, Turn You Inside Out. You know, my favorite one on the album is, believe it or not, Pop Song 89. This is a good song. This is another one from start to finish. It's good. There's no, there's no duds on this one. So the, the irony is that the album was called Green and the album cover was Orange, which is just such an REM thing to do. And then the hidden song. There's no hidden song on my cassette. See, that's what you get from. He let the CD. Oh, I don't know that name. I think it's called I Stayed Away to Hear Your Voice. It's a wonderful song. It's actually I one of I have. I have to look it up. One of REM's best songs. It's kind of a little ballady, ballady thing, but upbeat. Okay, I think I'll have to look it up. Yeah, that's a great song. I forgot this one on the cassette. By this point, I was buying solely CDs, guys. This this was actually one of the first three CDs I ever got at Christmas of '88. All right. Well, hey, speaking of bands that are known for being political. We just did a whole episode on them, Trey. You too. Although this song is not political at all. In fact, it is an absolutely beautiful love song. It's called All I Want Is You. I love the video for this one. Oh, yes. The video gives me the chills. You know, this is from the Rattle and Home soundtrack. And like I mentioned on our previous episode, I just really took a lot of issues with the way they did the soundtrack to that documentary. Yeah. So this was the final track on their 1988 album, Rattle and Home. And it was released as its fourth and final single on June 12th, 1989. And it also appears in the Rattle and Hum film playing over the closing credits. 
Now, the video which you mentioned, Trey, pays homage to Fellini, who was actually shooting his last movie only a few miles away from the U2 set. And it also pays homage to Todd Browning's 1932 film, Freaks, about the circus. The ending of the video, I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but there's a little bit of a twist ending. Somebody dies at the end of the video, and it's not who you think. The video is also a little bit unusual in that the band only have the briefest of cameos in the video. It's not about the band at all. It's actually a really beautifully done narrative. It's a short film is what it is. Exactly. So the video was directed by, I cannot say this name, I apologize, Mertz Avis. And uh, the video treatment was written by Barry Devlin. So, I mean, it really elevates the short form video. I mean, it's it's it really is a mini movie. It is so, so well done. I chose the song just because, gosh, it is such a beautiful love song. And I get the chills every time I hear it. You know, um, you say you'll give me diamonds and rings of gold. You know, all, all of these things that that he's being promised but all he wants is you you know and it's like none of these things you know all of these treasures that you're promising me all i want is you and it got just a yeah what a gorgeous gorgeous song you know i just realized i think this is about the point where 120 minutes started getting away from you too well because they were really no longer alternative were they Right, they just got so much more mainstream that MT, I guess they felt like they could work in some other bands and let them, you know, enjoy their success. I don't uh-huh. think it was anything against you too by any stretch of the imagination. Well, I mean, they'd already had two number one hits at that point, so... Right, I mean, the Joshua Tree was... Alrighty, so we're moving ahead. Yes, sir. Up next, I should know this song. Up next, we have All Night Long by Peter Murphy off of his love hysteria. Peter Murphy could be real hit or miss, unfortunately, mostly miss. Well, and you know, I'm not really a big fan of his, but I've never heard this one before, Trey, and it's it's decent. It rocks. You know, it, it's a pop song. Tell us about this song. You know, it's not a whole lot to say about it. It's just such a really, really good song. It's another one that kind of got off of 120 minutes a little bit and started getting played on Madeline TV. The videos, I always thought it was a little boring, to be honest with you, but well, he does this one live. This is one of his best live songs out there. They just yeah. absolutely go off when they play this. He was actually the opening act for the church when I saw them that summer. Interesting. Mm-hmm. You would think Pete, the church would have been opening for Peter Murphy, but Peter Murphy was the opening act. He 
last song he played that night was a cover of Purple Rain, which everyone was kind of like, what the hell? Robert, what are you doing this for? They don't get me wrong, Purple Rain's a great song, but Peter Murphy's another artist for his albums have like three good songs on them and the rest is just kind of like, come on, man. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I do. Now, he was supposed to be on tour, but the tour got postponed because he had some kind of uh, unexpected medical procedure. <sighs> the real story behind it is, is he's having some serious drug issues like he's been for years. And Bauhaus is, yeah, Bauhaus is pretty much done. That's why Love and Rockets showed up and reformed and yeah. started touring again because basically Peter Murphy has destroyed Bauhaus and I think his friendship with his bandmate, so... He was supposed to be doing a tour of, like, David Bowie covers, wasn't he? What is the point of that? I don't... Do you want to go see Peter Murphy singing David Bowie's hits? I don't really want to see Peter Murphy singing anything, but... Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyways, that went too long. That's all right. Anything else about All Night Long? It's just such a great song and kind of a lackluster album. What do we have? I believe you picked this one, Laurie. I did, yeah, but I think you might have if I hadn't, right? Chains of Love by Erasure. I would have picked, uh, what's our other hit off this album? I try to discover. I can't think of the name of it. Don't you go, don't you go, don't you go, don't you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. A little respect? Yes, I would have picked that one, but go. Okay, all right. Well, they're both really good, and quite frankly, I had difficulty. I went back and forth between the two. Yeah, Erasure first came to my attention because they had opened for Duran Duran on tour. I didn't see the tour, but I heard about it from a lot of friends, and I thought, okay, I'll check this out. So, yeah, Erasure, fantastic, fantastic dance band, queer icons. The song was written by Vince Clark and Andy Bell. It was released by Mute Records as the second single from their third studio album, The Innocents. And in the United States, Sire Records released it as their first single. So in the U.S., this became their mainstream breakthrough. It went to number 12 on the Billboard Hot 100. It was their first entry into the Billboard Modern Rock Tracks chart. It also hit number four on the Billboard Hot Dance Music Club Play chart. And Chains of Love remains Erasure's highest charting single in the United States. Not to mention that, it is impossible to stay in a bad mood when you hear this song. This song <laughs> comes on. I don't care what you're doing. You have to either get up and sing or dance. It, it's just a given, right? You know that you said that Andy Bell himself just strikes me as such a happy, good, lucky guy. But he's a great person to be around. 
He strikes me as somebody who's probably a pretty funny person in person, very witty and charismatic, and you know, what their music is just always so, like you just said, just such great mood, mood music. It's impossible to stay in a bad mood. Now contrast that to somebody like Soft Cell. I think they kind of get lumped together because you know both Erasure and Soft Cell are duos. They're both uh, heavily known in the queer community. Soft Cell got taken over by the Goss at some point somehow. Well, but but I mean, what I'm saying <laughs> is, is their, their musical themes are a little bit more dark, a little bit more you know dealing with things like abusive relationships and stuff. Whereas Erasure, I think they're the they're the brighter side, you know. Um, but you know what? You did mention goth music, so that might be a good segue for the next song. I know Lori's not familiar with this one, and I, I'm not blaming her for it. Up next, we have Tester off of Skinny Puppy's Nymphosex 6 LP. What did you think of this, Lori? Let's get your opinion on this one. It's okay. I mean, it sounds like every other industrial song that came out around this time. I get why they had a big following in 88. It just, eh, you know, I could take it or leave it. Skinny Puppy is well known for their support of animal rights. And this was, did you watch the video? The video is supposed to be a human getting tortured like an animal would in a lab. It's, it's not gross or graphic or anything. It's just, you know, they're... What if this happened to a human? This is this is one of their best albums. This is such a great song. There's a couple, two or three versions of it floating around out there. You know, you said this sounds like every other industrial song it was out in 88. Most people that are into Skinny Puppy don't think they sound like other industrial bands, myself okay. included. Okay. Skinny Puppy was just kind of really, it's almost like dark synth pop at times with them. And then this song is a good example of that, if you ask me. So it's interesting to hear someone else's, someone who's not into them listening to them, hear how they interpret it. I'm not, I'm not faulting you for your opinion on the, on the. It just, it doesn't seem like there's anything here that I could latch on to. You know what I mean? It, it, it's nothing I, I could actively listen to. I could see this as like background noise, you know, or, or you know, yeah. like at a club or something, but nothing that I would go out of my way to listen to. You know, Skinny Puppy songs aren't meant to be heard out of context. You're, sp- you're supposed to listen to the album from start to finish. And a lot of their singles just... I can see why people wouldn't like them because they don't have the other parts of the bigger picture to know with them. You see what I mean there? Yeah, yeah, I get it. I get what you're saying. You know, they're not one of these bands that you can tell some kid about and then go jump on YouTube and pull out their songs... Actually, I say the same of The Cure, but you just can't go grabbing songs by them and start listening to them about the context and the era of the man and what they were getting at. And Nine Inch Nails actually opened, I think, three of the shows on this tour before Nine Inch Nails decided they were terribly, terrible lives and aborted the tour. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Interesting little footnote in history there. Okay. 
And the next song is also yours, Trey. I guess this is a love song in ways. We have the Dead Milkman with Punk Rock Girl. And this is what it, like you just said, a happy, such a happy go lucky song. This is another one. It's just such so fun. The video is great. It was just fantastic. What do you think of it, Lori? Oh, I, I love this song. I love how it's name checking like Minnie <laughs> Pearl, Mojo Nixon, the Beach Boys. Yeah. And so I guess they're from Philadelphia. Uh-huh. And they mention several locations in Philly Zipperhead, which is a counterculture shop in Philly. Yeah. They don't take themselves too seriously, and I love that. Have you ever listened to one of their albums? Yeah. Okay, yeah, they're definitely a very tongue-in-cheek band. Yes. I would categorize this much like early Violent Femmes. You know, they're kind of just homegrown. We're going to have fun with it, and, you know, either you get it or you don't. But this is, I think, my favorite song by the Dead Milkman. I think part of the the pun and the play in the song is they weren't necessarily a punk band, but they're singing a a love homage to a punk rock girl. Oh, you know, the, we jumped up on the tables and we shouted anarchy. Yeah, this, I, you know, I mean, I, that obviously isn't something that really happens, right? I mean, this is a fantasy relationship. It's a fantastic song. Good choice. Good choice. Yeah, great song. Do we know how they chose the name The Dead Milkman? I don't. I mean, I'm I'm assuming, I don't either, I'm assuming, you know, because it's coming off of, like, bands like the Dead Kennedys and stuff like that. It's probably something like that. I mean, they yeah. everything they did was making fun of something in some way. Yeah. I love it. Fantastic. So, um, what's next? This is probably the more, one, probably about the most obscure band we've talked about on this show, and it's uh, England's Field of the Nephilim. And the song is Last Exit from the Lost. What did you think of this? <laughs> I liked the music. I liked the composition. I think if they had a vocalist other than the vocalist they have, it would be a spectacular song. But the vocalist sounds like this weird, creepy old man. It reminds me of Beavis and Butthead when he's doing his impression of Lurch. 
metal. You know, it's like hey, the 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 singer's got to go. Okay, the singer's terrible. Everything else is really good. In somebody else's hands, this would be an amazing song. Well, this is one of the, another one of those situations where the singer is essentially the band. His name is Carl McCoy, and uh, live versions of this song are much better if you don't like the singing. You should check one of those out because he sort of more sings in his normal voice with less distortion on it. Okay. I, I wanted to include these guys here because I just absolutely adore them and wanted them on the show at some point. I, I wasn't sure if you were going to go for it, so I had to, you know. Just sneak it in? <laughs> yeah. Because they are a very dark. What it is is it's group of guys who just really love spaghetti westerns and almost wanted a horror image to their music too so it's probably nephilim and the biblical and uh mm-hmm. alistair crawley stuff comes in in this music just such a great band wonderfully underrated I love stuff like that i love stuff like that alistair crowley and and biblical references and stuff like that i love it's just this guy's voice is just ugh. check out some of their other songs he doesn't always sing so I don't know the word I need there, Baroque. Yeah. Okay. But, uh, great band. They're still going today. They've kind of, Carl McCoy's the only original member left, and they've kind of, I wouldn't go so far as to call them a metal band, but they've definitely got much heavier over the years. They're still a decent band, if you ask me. Wonderful live band. You should check out their uh, album. It's called Elysium. You would love that one. And he doesn't okay. sing as deep. Okay. It's almost like gothic Pink Floyd. It's it's a it's a really good album, and it's just it's all over the place. It's an amazing guitar work on that album too. Okay, well, but uh, speaking of goth bands, up next we have Sisters, the Sisters of Mercy with Lucretia, My Reflection. There's a lot going on out there about what this song is about. Possibly some woman from Russia, but the general consensus seems to be it's about Patricia Morrison, who may or may not have played bass on this album. No one seems to know for sure. She can't say because she's got slapped with a apparently a gag order in the situation. But anyways, this is a wonderful song. What did you think of this one? And I know you've heard this one, haven't you? No, I hadn't, and I think it's silly and repetitive. This is off of the flood. <laughs> I'm going I'm to explain why. This is off of the Floodland album. Previously, we mentioned the Mission UK on this show and how Wayne Hussey and Craig Adams had left the band. Some of the songs on the Floodland album was Andrew actually making fun of Wayne Hussey's poor lyrical skills. And this one and uh, this corrosion, the sister's other head off this album, are the two known known examples of that. Okay. Well, I had a former roommate that was just obsessed with Sisters of Mercy. And, uh, yeah, I just never got into them. 
This is considered one of the best bass lines in goth. Now, Andrew Elwich will tell you they aren't a goth band, and this isn't a goth song. I don't know. I don't get into all that. And yeah. it's just such a wonderful song. I don't understand how you could not like it. It's, it's just so... It's, it's, it's simple, and it's repetitive. And, okay, maybe not simple, simplistic. It just, it, it just, he's like, he's not even trying. It's like, you're not even trying to write a good song. Hey, well, <laughs> I mean, he, he probably wasn't because he was a severe cokehead during the writing and production of this album. So, okay. I think having, now that I know that as I'm older, I'm like, wow, I can kind of see why some of this album was just so half-acidly done is the best way to put it. Okay. That's okay. He, he, a cokehead turned out a great album. Well, my opinion on the matter, it wouldn't be the first one. <laughs> All right. Well, I, we're about to close off the episode, and the last song is mine, Trey. One of my favorite singers and composers, lyricists of all time, Leonard Cohen, and his song "Everybody Knows." That the days are loaded Everybody rolls With their fingers crossed Everybody knows The war is over Everybody knows The good guys lost Everybody knows The fight was fixed The poor stay poor The rich get rich That's how it goes Everybody knows. So, Trey, how do you like this one? I love this song, and I, I had no idea it was from 1980. I thought it was from the 70s. It's from his album, I'm Your Man, which came out in February 1988. Let me say here, in 1988, I don't believe I know who Leonard Cohen was. There's so many good tracks on this album, and I went back and forth. There were a couple other ones I was thinking about. Tower of Song was another good one I could have done here, but... I chose this one because of its association with the Christian Slater film, Pump Up the Volume. You've seen that, right, Trey? A long time ago. Christian Slater, it's a 1990 movie. Christian Slater plays a DJ on a pirate radio station, and he opens his nightly broadcast with this song. The lyrics on this are so tongue-in-cheek, you know? Everybody knows that you've been faithful, give or take a night or two. There's a little bit of a, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge kind of aspect to some of this. But, you know, some of it is stuff that I think a lot of people even today in 2023 can relate to. Everybody knows that the dice are loaded. You know, the idea that the game is rigged against you and me. You know what I mean? And, you know, Leonard Cohen, I think, really hits on this in this song. Absolutely amazing song. I think a good place for us to close off the episode with. Are we going to mention the Concrete Blonde cover of it? Go for it. Mention it. <laughs> Concrete Blonde did a... I, I, I don't think Laurie cares for it. I love it. I like both of them. They did a great cover of this song, which is... This isn't on the soundtrack of Pop Up the Volume, is it? And the Concrete Blonde version is? Yeah, track one is Concrete Blonde. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they don't have the Leonard Cohen version on here. Johnette, Concrete Blonde singer, was a, big, was a big fan of Leonard Cohen. And I, I think they, they did this song justice, I think. I'm not real big on covers in general, though. This is 
second one we've mentioned on the show. And this one, this their cover art's pretty good if you ask me. He's someone I need to sit down and explore his catalog way more than I have. And it's a really extensive catalog too. Yeah, so like to his see... early stuff his early stuff is more like folk. Is it? And his voice is also higher. Over the years his voice got a lot deeper. But yeah, I mean I I I've got all his albums. I, I love it. I love it. All right. Again, thanks everybody for listening. We love you. It's a goodbye from me. Good night, everybody. Thank you for listening. <laughs>